Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Trish Regan Show. I am Trish. We are brought to you, as always, by LegacyPMInvestments.com. Our friends over at Legacy Precious Metals. If you're worried about gold, actually, no, if you're worried about inflation, one of the things you might be looking at, of course, is gold. So give them a ring. Check them out. one 589 This is a live edition of the show. we got a lot going on. We are going to get into this Epstein mystery because there's new developments including a fascinating interview that I want to tell you about with Epstein's brother. But before, we got a lot of news going on, do we not, ladies and gentlemen? You have Donald Trump there arriving at the federal court. Can we take a look at some of the video? You saw him there this morning. There was a three-judge panel that he was there before. You had Jack Smith, very hopeful that he might be able to get to this trial, oh, I don't know, around March, March something, but... I don't think it's going to happen. I actually think this March 4th date is way too ambitious. And this is, you can see the video coming to us, courtesy of our, our friends at Fox News that came in earlier today of the president's motorcade. So he was there before this three-judge panel. The most shocking thing, perhaps, of the entire day, and yet not shocking, right, is this video clip that came out. I'm going to show it to you in just a second of reporters, journalists that were waiting as part of the gaggle, right? They're just waiting, waiting, waiting to get that video. The video of Donald Trump coming out of the SUV, something like that. They're just waiting for this. And they're standing around and they start talking and they start joking about how they want to knock them off. I mean, it's if you had any doubt, ladies and gentlemen, if you had any doubt about how the media really feels about Donald Trump, just listen to this leaked audio. It's something. You know, the worst part is, even if he has his and he's hanging out of it, he'll be on the other side of the <laughs> I mean, if he's driving, we've got a good shot. Yeah, if he's driving with the front window open. Yeah. Or if it's a convertible. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't thinking about that. Yeah. Like if you just pulls up like, like JFK, like a JFK, a Lincoln. <laughs> Maybe someone just like they told JFK, you know what you should do? You should take a convertible. It's so nice out. Lovely. Right. Way to go. I mean, just really disgusting. They're joking about how to knock them off, how to get rid of them. The media community, <laughs> shall we say, really doesn't like them. I mean, they really don't like them. And I think that's one of the most troubling things about where we are right now as a society. There's no civility, if you would, anymore. And that's reflected in terms of what those reporters are laughing about and talking about. It's reflected, not just behind the scenes, but very much out in the open. And we see it every single day. And you see the bias constantly in the media. And there's no so-called truth, it seems, anymore in journalism because everybody's coming with a viewpoint. Now, I get it, right? We all have viewpoints. You know I have a viewpoint. I know you have a viewpoint, too, and we should have viewpoints. It's important. But it's also important that we that we admit those things. And so I, I happily tell you where I come from and, and where I'm at at everything. And it may give you the other side to things as well, not necessarily from my perspective, but from the other side and try to present it all here very, very fairly. 
but you'll always know where I stand. On the other hand, you get these networks out there, those, those, those reporters included, right, that are sitting there pretending like they're journalists with a capital J, trying to pretend that they're totally, totally neutral, when in fact we know, I know you know, they are not. That kind of so-called journalism, if it ever existed, is no longer there today. I mean, at least in the old days, they'd like pretend. They'd sort of pretend, right? And they may still make those snickering remarks behind everyone's back. But right now, it, it's like full on out in the open. You got MSNBC anchors out there crying on set. You got other MSNBC anchors saying, I mean, this was great, that, that Donald Trump is going to execute his enemies. I mean, wow, that's like some loaded language. Is it not? But you see, the reason for that loaded language on behalf of the media is because panic is gripping the White House. Panic is gripping the media. And they can't stand the idea that the system, if you would, that they have had so much control over for so long, is not going to be theirs anymore. I mean, you look at every poll, take your pick. Donald Trump's way up. And even if you see some success from Nikki Haley, and I imagine you will, you're looking at some very close poll numbers now. She's come up significantly in New Hampshire. Is it actually going to resonate through the rest of the country? I don't think so. I mean, I don't know how you get around this, guys, but Donald Trump is going to be the Republican nominee, assuming, of course, you know, they allow him to be in Colorado and Maine and everywhere else where you have these Soros-appointed, effectively, uh, <laughs> Lawyers who are trying to do their own little workarounds because they have their own personal biases. That one's going to the Supreme Court, as you well know. But right now, you see panic. And this panic was on display, oh, I don't know, at the White House itself. The Wall, the Wall Street Journal, the, the Washington Post actually told us about this one. The Wall Street Journal's commented on it. But this is the Washington Post writing this little number just the other day, letting us all know that Former President Obama's worried enough. He's actually gone and had lunch at the White House because he had to issue this warning. You see, Joe Biden, you're not going to win. You're not going to win because your policies have failed and you ran on this whole nice guy thing and you pretended like you were a moderate, except you weren't a moderate. And not only were you not a moderate, you got us into conflicts. You've allowed our border to be penetrated in unimaginable ways. I mean, so unimaginable that CNN even has to admit it. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And our economy has performed so poorly as we've dealt with massive inflation. Another shout out to my friends over at LegacyPMInvestments.com. If you're worried about inflation, these are the guys to call. 1-866-589-0560. one 589 LegacyPMInvestments.com. They've got a great sales team. You know Charles. He comes on the show a lot, who runs the company. And they can, they can walk you through some of those ideas if you want to diversify. It's one of the tools that you might be looking at. I know I, know I do. Uh, I, I, I actually uh, personally do invest in gold. And I, every time it goes up, I'm like, why didn't I buy more? And then, you know, when it goes down, you, you try and seize those opportunities. This is not to be interpreted as investment advice. I'm just giving a plug here for our sponsor and letting you know I do worry about inflation. So Joe Biden has done a horrific job, a horrific job all around, and the policy reflects that. And so it's no wonder when you look at the polls right now, guys, I mean, 
Every single poll has Donald Trump ahead today. On average, I think that the latest real clear politics average is somewhere around 2.7 points higher, Trump to Biden. But you know that those numbers are actually even more because nobody's actually willing to say, right? I mean, more so they are now, I guess, but a lot of people won't even say, oh, I'm going to vote for Trump. And so as a result, you really need to drill down. I think this tells a very interesting picture in places like Pennsylvania, in Michigan, in Arizona, Wisconsin, narrowing the gap right there. But some of these states, you're looking at 10 points, a 10-point spread between the two of them. So Obama's like, whoa, what happened? What happened to my legacy? Trump came in after my legacy. And now Biden, my VP, what has he done? He has effectively destroyed the America I was seeking to build. So he comes out of the woodwork. He sits them down. They have lunch, Pennsylvania Avenue, Washington Post reports on it. And what do you know? By the weekend, he's out there talking about, one, January 6th, and how the world will never be the same because you cannot allow this person who started this inquisition, et cetera, et cetera, to actually govern the country. If you do, then we will not have a country anymore. And then, so you double down on fear, and then you double down on the race card, the race issue. And that was, I I talked about this yesterday, that was so aggressively positioned there in South Carolina. I mean, in, in ways that really were so over the top and so disturbing because it tells you, you know why it's disturbing? It tells you these guys, they don't have anything else. They don't actually have any policy that's good. They don't actually have a prescription to fix the economy or to keep us in a peaceful state. They don't have any policy that works. So they're going back to the well. And this is not like Clinton's well, right? Like Bill Clinton actually, I mean, he certainly dabbled in some of this, but he wasn't trafficking in this divisiveness such as Barack Obama was such as Joe Biden is. I mean, I think he looks at the numbers, both of them look at the numbers, and they've made the determination that the way to win, the way for Joe Biden to win is to convince everyone that Donald Trump is a racist, and if you elect him, you are going to, especially as a minority, suffer. Like, really, really suffer. And so... That's the motivation to get people to the polls. I think they looked at the numbers and you can determine like something out of four out of 10 votes for Biden in 2020 were actually from black voters. So he was polling well there. He did actually get the turnout at the at the uh, ballot boxes. But (laughs) is he going to get it again? I mean, the latest poll, which I saw from late November of just this past year. So, you know, really just a couple of months ago shows he's down 20 points with the black population in America. Because, look, I'm sorry, you can divide us all you want. At the end of the day, Americans are pretty simple. We want to be able to take care of ourselves. We want to be able to take care of our families. We want to have a decent living and and a decent sort of trajectory going forward. But when prices keep going up and it keeps costing more to fuel up your car, At some point, you get a little sick of the, oh, it's us versus them, which they're playing all day long because they think that's the tactic that will work. And you're going to say, okay, enough already. What have you done for me? How is my life better? Wait a second. Maybe, maybe I ought to go with the team that actually did make my life better. 
And so this is what is terrifying people within the Democrat Party right now. It is terrifying Barack Obama. It is terrifying the media. And it is terrifying a lot of Democrat pollsters. But what I think ultimately might happen because of all this fear and all this terror is they're going to have to find a new candidate. And I don't say that happily because I think that Joe Biden is the most easy to beat candidate other than Kamala Harris. Like, Take your pick. I mean, that's like the dream team. If you're Donald Trump, you want Joe Biden at the top of the ticket. But if you're the Democrats, you're looking at going, oh my gosh, like this is really up for grabs in ways that we didn't anticipate. Because you guys, I guess, are just too dumb to realize you got a bad candidate who doesn't have a whole lot upstairs. And you know what? That actually does matter. It really does. Not to mention his age, his frailty, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on. So I want to go back to this theory that, you know, Ted Cruz has talked about a little bit. The Michelle Obama biographer talked a little, about a little bit. You guys have been talking about it. By the way, we're a live show, so thank you for all for tuning in. Alphonse, you mentioned this just yesterday. You mentioned this just yesterday. Michelle Obama possibly replacing Joe Biden at the top of the ticket and maybe even, hey, Gavin Newsom coming in as VP. Could that explain all his wild policy ideas about giving $5 million to anyone who can prove that they're descendants of slaves? Is that that why he wants suddenly $2 billion in a state that is already indebted to the tune of $68 billion? Is that why he wants $2 billion to offer free health care for all undocumented migrants in the state of California? I think it may just be, not to mention, he was just photographed down in Mexico with Bill Clinton strategizing, just as, of course, Michelle Obama got out there to remind you, to remind you, especially if you're a black American, that things are going to be really, really bad should Donald Trump get elected. Here she is on some podcast saying how she can't sleep at night. She's so scared. She's so scared. She's so terrified. This is what keeps her up. Michelle Obama, who, by the way, guys, It was just revealed she made $740,000 on her last speech about diversity and equity, et cetera, in Germany. $740,000, one speech. This is what keeps her up at night when she's counting her dollars. Watch. The things that keep me up because you you don't have control over them Mm -hmm. and you wonder where are people, where are we in this? You know, where are our hearts? What's going to happen in this next election? I am terrified about what could possibly happen because our leaders matter. Who we select, who speaks for us, who holds that bully pulpit, it affects us in ways that sometimes I think people take for granted. Yeah, you know, when you lose control, you lose everything, right, Michelle? (laughs) I got to tell you, this is really something. You know, the J.P. Morgan analyst came out with his predictions for 2024. This is in honor of Byron Wine, who was a well-known analyst on Wall Street and who died last year. So carrying on that tradition at J.P. Morgan, they're predicting, they're predicting that Joe Biden actually bows out sometime between Super Tuesday 
and the convention. They believe that he's a goner and he's going to cite his health as the reason. Now that I see Michelle out there doing the media circuit, now that I see Gavin down in Mexico with Clinton, now that I see that Barack Obama is like, hey, buddy, we need to talk over to Joe Biden at the White House. I think there may be some there there. This is exactly, by the way, what Michelle Obama's biographer predicted. Let's see if we can go to this clip. Grant Stitchfield, he, he did a little interview with Michelle Obama's biographer. And it's really interesting because he lays the whole thing out and he said, you know what, she's doing everything just like Brock did. They have a system. They know how to create those presidents there in the Obama family. Watch. And I make the case that I believe that Joe Biden is on his way out. I think that's pretty much the consensus. Nobody really believes he'll be the candidate in 2024 because of health, because of corruption, because of his terrible record. And I make the case in my film and book that Michelle has been pretty much copying Barack Obama's path to the White House. Barack had a voter registration organization in Chicago called Project Vote before he ran for president. Michelle founded something called When We All Vote that's supported by the Soros Group for 26 million bucks. She's been running around the country registering people for several years. Barack wrote two autobiographies, Dreams from My Father and The Audacity of Hope. Sure enough, Michelle wrote two autobiographies, Becoming and The Light We Carry. They're also on Netflix as, as TV specials. And of course, Barack was the keynote speaker who introduced John Kerry at the 2004 Democrat convention. Uh, sure enough, Michelle introduced Joe Biden at the 2020 Democrat convention. So yeah, I think so she's positioned words, herself up, just right? like... According to him, he's like, she's doing everything like he did. And then they have the added bonus of Joe Biden being so totally, utterly incompetent that, well, she's going to rush right in, rush to the rescue, so to speak. The biographer also says that, basically. You know, she wants to feel needed. She wants to feel like she's doing everybody a favor at the end of the day. I don't know how Kamala's going to feel about that. I mean, I guess they can kind of say, well, you know, it's okay it's okay that Michelle's coming in because she's a black woman. So Kamala, you know, next time around. Better, better luck next time, Kamala Harris. Anyway, I, I don't know if she gets there, and I'm going to tell you why. So look, I think that the ground game is going to be incredible. I think that Obama ran one heck of a, an organization, right? He's got his background in the grassroots community organizer thing. He knows how to manage. He knows how to execute. He knows how to get his stuff done. As they say, he knows how to get eh, done. He does. All right. So say what you want about the guy. I don't like him. I don't like his policies. I had hoped he was going to unite us. We got anything but. In fact, all the data proves that. Thanks to him, because he recognized and seized a political opportunity, just as he's trying to do right now. So as a result of this, I think in some ways she can create buzz. She may have some people that like her, but don't forget, you know, last time around, I remember this because, well, I led all the coverage in 2012, actually, at the time I was at Bloomberg Television, and I led all our political coverage in that election, but I had also covered him previously, four years earlier, and I remember how the campaign really, really tried to keep her quiet because there were a few little things that just didn't go over so well. People didn't like her. They didn't warm up to her. And it wasn't just the whole, you know, being a woman. It had nothing to do with the, the color of her skin. I think that she at times seemed as though she was ungrateful for the opportunities she's had. And, and I think that's going to come back to haunt her.
Don't forget, this is the woman who makes 740 grand per speech, according to the latest story. That's what she got in Germany. So you're making 740K per speech, Michelle Obama. And yet we've got a lot of tape of you really not liking our country so much. Right? Remember this? And then remember how she tried to like massage it over? She said that, you know, she'd never really been proud of her country. Let's go to this clip. For the first time in my adult lifetime, I'm really proud of my country. And not just because Barack has done well, but because I think people are hungry for change. I mean, when was the last time we've seen a presidential candidate who could claim victories in states like Idaho and Missouri and Washington and Louisiana and Georgia and Maine and Hawaii. We haven't seen that before in a while. So I am proud of this country. And I'm proud of my husband but we've learned a lot this year. We've learned that when the bar is set, sometimes it moves on you, right when you get there. So what it do you guys think of that? In other words, she slips in a little massage effort, you know, like, look, you know, I am proud of our country, except, 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 and then there's that dig and there's that divide. So again, dividing. Trying to make the point that, you know, if you're black in America, you can't get ahead. This is what the whole DEI franchise has been about. You have to help people and put them in places because the system is such that it's so absolutely rigged against them. They could never become president of the United States of America and certainly not get elected twice, right? I mean, come on. We had gotten past so much, but now all you're supposed to see is color. There was a woman, an executive actually, who runs DEI at Google, just quoted, this has made the rounds on the internet, and she was quoted effectively saying that parents, can you imagine this, teaching your child not to see color. Like, if you don't see color, then how can you possibly really empathize with somebody else's experience? I mean, give me a break. Wasn't the whole idea that we weren't going to see color? That we, You know what? You really shouldn't see anything. You shouldn't really see pretty, not pretty, tall, short. You know, we ought to be able to, in a very, very sort of great, altruistic, enviable world, really actually just see through to someone's soul, right? Their character, who they are. But no, 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 the, the lady over, she wants you to make sure you see color first. Because if you see color first, then you can check that box and say, okay, well, we're going to give you this job. I mean, I think one of the best examples of this right now happens to be that there's still a holdover in the classical music arena. In classical music, if you're auditioning for an orchestra, you do so behind a curtain. So they don't know what sex you are, they don't know what age you are, they don't know what color you are. People are mad about this because they say, well, we don't have enough people that are diverse enough in orchestras across the United States. We need more black representation in the New York Philharmonic, for example. But wait, 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 because, you know, an orchestra has to be able to play together, which means everybody actually has to play the instrument really well. Don't you want to actually be bringing people into the violin section that play it beautifully and that behind a curtain, you know, there's a curtain there and you listen to it and it sounds great. Isn't that what a meritocracy would want? Because then if you get a really good violinist who joins the violin section, the whole violin section gets better. Well, apparently not if you're one of these DEI franchise people, 
No, 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 no. You have to make sure that, that it's equitable. I mean, nobody's bothering to go back to the schools and say, hey, you know, let's round up the three-year-olds and start teaching violin. Why not actually attack the root of the problem? I sound like Kamala, right? Let's go back to the root causes of the problem. Let's make sure that we have a family structure in place. Let's make sure that we have a strong community in place. Let's make sure that we got good schools, accountable schools in place. That would go a long ways towards creating a more equitable environment. But no, no, they want to change things after the fact, which is why there was such an uproar over the Harvard situation. I mean, to me, the woman was out the day she gave that horrific nonsense testimony on Congressional Hill. I mean, that was bad, right? With Elise Stefanik, you remember the whole thing. The white lady, by the way, was out, like within days. But somehow Claudine Gay, she, she hung on, she hung on, she hung on. And then there were all those plagiarism allegations, and that's allegedly what eventually took her down. The point being, you ought to be able to lead if you're in a position like that regardless of your sex, regardless of your color. And if we continue to peel back away from the meritocracy that has made us the nation we are, the greatest nation on earth, and I'll tell you guys, you know, we're not going to have much. We're not going to have much. And I think everyday Americans get it. And that's why at the end of the day, I do not think that Michelle Obama, should she be top of the ticket, is going to have the chance the Democrats hope and think she has. Because we're not as divided as they really want us to be. I want to turn to the Jeffrey Epstein mystery, which keeps growing deeper. This is really pretty, pretty amazing. So there's this article that appeared in the New York Post. They had actually an exclusive interview with Epstein's brother, Mark Epstein, and this is, this is really, I mean, they, they got a typical New York Post headline, right? Bro and behold, Epstein brother lists the evidence he claims feds are covering up about pedophiles' death. So this is really fascinating overall. And I, and I want to dig into some of it, but before I do, just think about, if you go back in time, to that clip that made the rounds online. Remember the, the Good Morning America anchor, her name was Amy Robach, She had been looking into this story, and she had it three years before anyone. She's no longer at Good Morning America, by the way. But ABC News, owned by Disney, would not report this. They just wouldn't. And so she's recounting this story, I guess, to one of her producers, just talking on set with an open microphone. Someone recorded it, and I want to play it again, just to remind you how powerful Epstein and his friends certainly were. I've had the story for three years. I've had this interview with Virginia Roberts. We would not put it on the air. Um, first of all, I was told, who's Jeffrey Epstein? No one knows who that is. This is a stupid story. Um, then the palace found out that we had her whole allegations about Prince Andrew and threatened us a million different ways. Um, we were so afraid we wouldn't be able to interview Kate and Will say, oh, that we that also quashed the story. And then, um, and then Alan Dershowitz was also implicated in because of the planes. She told me everything. She had pictures. She had everything. She was in hiding for 12 years. We convinced her to come out. We convinced her to talk to us. Um, it was unbelievable what we had. Clinton. We had everything. 
I, I tried for three years to get it on to no avail and now it's all coming out and it's like these new revelations and I freaking had all of it. I, I, I'm so pissed right now. Like every day I get more and more pissed because I'm just like, oh my God, we, it was, um, what, what we had was unreal. Other women backing it up. Hey, yep. Brad Edwards, the attorney three years ago saying like, aunt, like, we, there will come a day where we will realize Jeffrey Epstein was the most prolific pedophile this country has ever known. And I had it all three years ago. And no one would let her air it. Think about that for a second. So according to this New York Post story, uh, the, there's a lot of sort of things that are not really clear. Right, like the way the autopsy was handled, some of the things that transpired after. And I just want to point some of them out to you because the brother is now alleging that this was some kind of cover up. He says that there's additional evidence that he needs to understand and know about. He's citing the New York chief medical examiner, for example, who did in fact rule that this was a suicide, yet she did admit that she had seen, quote, additional evidence, but she never saw, or never said, I should say, what that evidence was. So she saw something, but she didn't come forward with it. You know, the brother is telling the Post, and I quote, it seems like a cover-up. Why can't I find his hospital care report? Why can't I get the 911 call? Interesting questions, right? You'd think that like some of this information would be available. I want to also point out that according to the brother's independent doctor, so he had somebody go in there for the autopsy that he hired to kind of oversee things. This is somebody named Dr. Michael Baden. He was sent by Mark Epstein to oversee this procedure, and there were a couple, couple things that, that he flagged. Two breaks on each side of this thyroid cartilage near the Adam's apple, Above it, on the left side of the hyra bone, which according to this doctor, were, quote, extremely unlikely in suicidal hangings and could, quote, occur much more commonly in a strangulation. He also said, and I quote, I have not seen in 50 years where that occurred, meaning these particular marks, in a suicidal hanging case. I mean, this is morbid stuff, right? But basically, the brother is saying, hang on, like, they, they're... There may be more there, and I want to have some of these key components, key questions be answered. So he also cites this. There was no photo, he said, that was taken of the position of Epstein's body when he was found, and that's kind of unusual. Most medical examiners will have that. They actually want that because it's a key part of the evidence in determining exactly how he went. Also, per the post, autopsy photos show the marks on Epstein's throat from the, from the you know, they, they were in the, the middle to lower portion of the neck, and, and they were straight, not raised, and therefore not consistent with hanging. Again, this is per the post and per the brother. The EMTs at the scene, they weren't interviewed. Now, that, that's weird, right? Like, why wouldn't you interview the EMTs or other staff? I mean, this is what is considered standard protocol. Why wasn't the hospital staff, for example, interviewed? And then the, the autopsy actually shows that he was dead for some two to six hours. Apparently, the guards were 15 feet away. 
And yet, even though he was dead, they never heard anything. They didn't check on him. They apparently lied in their reports saying they had checked on him. It's super weird, especially when you find out that once they did find him, they actually transferred him to a hospital and, and placed him in a hospital gown on a gurney. I mean, he was dead. So what was that about? I mean, why? There's also that 911 call that was made from the prison. Content in the call hasn't been released. And there's more. He was moved to a single cell, despite the prison psychologist saying, you know what, he needs a cellmate. But they moved the cellmate out 24 hours before the cell went down. And despite FOIA requests, many, many freedom of information requests, it, nothing, nothing's come forward. So we don't have any footage from the working camera there, which would have shown his body being removed. It's never been released to the public. The prison guards, as I said, they were 15 feet away. They made some kind of deal with the feds. And as a result of that deal, they got immunity. And then there were apparently two other officers on there, officer one and two, that we don't really know too much about. So it leaves you with a whole lot of questions. Is it any wonder why people are starting to say, wait a second, is he like in witness protection or something crazy like that? I don't actually think so. But Megan Kelly, former colleague of mine over at Fox, who has her own show, she brought up an interesting point. I want to go to this. This is a, some tape from Megan. Fascinating. And we're not done with Jeffrey Epstein. I can tell you that for a fact. can't tell you how I know, but I can tell you for a fact, we're going to hear a lot more about Jeffrey Epstein in the coming year. Uh, and you may be even hearing from him directly. More on that as I'm allowed to tell you. Guys, there could be more tapes. There could be more emails. And some of that is going to start to come out. I suspect the brother is not done and the brother wants answers. But, but, like, you know, if we're to entertain this idea for just a minute, how is it that Maxwell is like still alive and well and in prison? Like, why, why would they go after him and not her? And, and what's this bit about the servers in the Palm Beach house? that Epstein had, apparently, according to some documentation that just came out, there was a model named Adriana something that, that actually got in there and took the servers before the feds had a chance to get them, but she did get an immunity deal from the feds, like one of only four people, I guess. So, who knows? Stay tuned, stay tuned. But, you know, I'll tell you this, the fact that we're even talking about this and entertaining all of this, the conspiracy theory stuff. Listen, when you've got a government that people feel like they can't trust, that's when that stuff starts to kick into high gear because nobody feels like they can trust this government. For goodness sakes, they keep lying to us. I mean, how many times were we told, oh, no way, that, that virus never came from Wuhan, China. Forget about it. And then now all the agencies, other than the CIA, which remains divided on the issue, everybody's like, yep, it came from the lab in Wuhan, China. And then there was the Hunter Biden laptop, which, oh, no, no, that wasn't Hunter's. That that was just Russian misinformation, disinformation, except that it turns out, sure enough, it was Hunter's. It was Hunter's laptop, and he was under investigation by the FBI at the time. I mean, my gosh. I mean, then there was, of course, the infamous dossier on Donald Trump, which, if you think about it, is really, really, really disturbing because that's what gave them cover, including, by the way, a former president of the United States, I'm talking about Jimmy Carter, to say things like, 
oh, he was not a legitimate president. Not a legitimate president. He was elected by the Russians. I mean, that's pretty out there, right? <laughs> so you'll wonder why people don't trust the government right now. They, they can't because they've been burned too many times. I'll tell you, you can't trust the government. You can't trust the establishment. Did you? The, the, the airline story. We got to talk about this, guys. I mean, this is unbelievable to me. This footage that has come in. Let's take a quick look. I'll talk to you about it because this like whole like area of the plane was blown off. It, it, it was crazy. I think it was row 26. Basically, um, there you see that, that, that video. So, like, there's a hole in the plane. They're flying with a hole in the plane. This is the 737 MAX, Alaska Airlines. That's a stock that didn't do so well today or yesterday, by the way. And this is, of course, the, the plane that was made by Boeing, the 737 MAX. And I would just say, like, wow, what the heck was this thing doing in the sky? I mean, come on. They had had several incidents reported. They had a warning light on. They're calling Boeing, and Boeing's like, oh, yeah, no, it's okay, but maybe just don't do those puddle jumps over to Hawaii. So they stayed in the air above ground, just in case, just in case. Doesn't that make you feel better, knowing that, hey, just in case you're above ground, why is the airline flying a plane that has a warning light on it when they can't actually solve the mystery of why the warning light is there in the first place? I mean, they're lucky. What were they at, like 16,000 feet? Had they been much higher? You could have had a really devastating situation. One, one little kid had his shirt ripped off of him. There's stories of a stuffed animal going right out the window. I mean, this is, this is bad. So you saw shares of Boeing. They were down 1.41% today. Shares of Alaska Airlines down 1.3%. Again, this is a trust thing. Right? Why, I'm not going to feel very good about going on Alaska Airlines, knowing that they were willing to fly a plane with a warning light knowing that they couldn't make it all the way to Hawaii just in case. But they were still willing to fly the thing, for goodness sakes. And where's Pete? Where's Mayor Pete? Pete Buttigieg, right? Like, isn't he supposed to have, like, some say in all this? I haven't heard from him. He's, like, ducking for cover, right? <laughs> Things are bad enough with Joe. He doesn't need this. Well, one of the women from NHTSA, this is the National Highway and Transportation Organization, she came out and she said a few things, but... I'll tell you, this is not enough. I don't feel good about it. Let's watch. Now, our systems group uh, began looking at all the aircraft systems. They documented the entire flight deck, and they asked about the auto pressurization fail light that did illuminate in three previous flights. There was a decision by Alaska Airlines to um, uh, a restriction, actually, they put in place. They call it an ETOPS restriction that uh, prevented that plane uh, from being flown to Hawaii over uh, water, so that it could, if so, if some light did illuminate, it could return very quickly to an airport. Oh, so everything was going to be just fine, right? Nothing to worry about. That that was the uh, <laughs> the explanation. You didn't have to worry because. Hey, they didn't fly it to Hawaii. Come on. So people are frustrated. They don't trust government. They don't trust corporations. 
They trust themselves, right? They trust themselves. And uh, understandably right now, under the circumstances with everything that is going on, it, it, it's it's like, well, what information are you getting? How and, and why? And heck, I mean, the mystery over Lloyd Austin, the defense secretary for the United States of America. Well, this one just finally got solved. They didn't even tell anybody. They didn't tell us. They certainly didn't even tell the president. They didn't tell the Secretary of State that he was in the hospital for some complications resulting from surgery. He, unfortunately for him, I I understand he wanted to keep this tight and he wanted to keep it quiet, but that's not really how it works. Not when you're the Secretary of Defense for the United States of America, okay? Thank you, Secretary Austin. So, unfortunately, he has prostate cancer. And so he had gone into the hospital for treatment of that and then had to go back, had to go back because he had an infection. It was a urinary tract infection that was decently serious. And so he didn't want to share any of this information. But gosh darn it, like, chain of command, like you're in the military. Like, how does that happen? Like, doesn't anybody get to know anybody at all? I mean, his deputy Kathleen Hicks, she she didn't even know for some three days. The White House didn't know. So everybody's like, how does this happen? You saw that we just threw this up. New York Post had a great, great op-ed. The most obvious question in the world, right? How do you not know? Oops, wrong one. I think that's Epstein. But there we go. How could President Biden not notice his defense secretary was missing, especially just as a Hamas fighter was taken down by Israel, just as this conflict continues to erupt? I mean, come on. And yet, and yet, the White House says they continue to support him, Secretary Austin, even though everybody's like, wait a second, like, isn't this kind of a fireable offense? You, you go AWOL, you don't tell anyone. You don't even tell the Secretary of State. You don't tell the president. You don't even tell your deputy. But no, Joe Biden's fine with it. Nothing to see here. Let's listen to that uh, Cracker Jack press person, KJP, who, who said, you know what, we're here to support him. Should the American people have confidence in Austin given his lack of transparency? And then also, do the American people need to be concerned about a lack of transparency for the president given this lapse? So I want to go back to Austin's statement um, a couple of days ago where he has um, taken responsibility. Yeah. Uh, and so... I think that's important, so I would point you to that. And I will just reiterate that the president uh, has complete confidence, continues to have confidence in Secretary's off, uh, in Secretary Austin. And, and um, as the admiral just stated, I think the number one thing right now is for him, uh, we want to see him back at the Pentagon, get well and back at the Pentagon. And I'll just add one more thing, is that the president, uh, as we have uh, shared, the president uh, spoke to Austin, uh, Secretary Austin, uh, on Saturday. They had a very good conversation. And, and again, you know, the president appreciate uh, Austin's statement uh, and taking full responsibility here. And I think that's what that's what matters, is him getting back to, to the Pentagon and taking full responsibility. Do you he took responsibility? I mean, after the fact, after everybody's like, wait a second, we've been without a defense secretary for the last four days. Now he's going to take responsibility for it. And you're okay with that? I mean, let me just say, you know what? Barack Obama wouldn't allow that. Michelle Obama wouldn't allow that. 
Bill Clinton wouldn't allow that. No one would allow that. I can guarantee you that would never happen with Trump. I mean, Trump might say, hey, you know, like if Austin took him aside and said, listen, I'm going to be out. Can we kind of keep it quiet? He might have said, "Okay, let's try and keep it quiet. But he's not going to not know where his defense secretary is. Like, how does that happen? I, I don't get it. Like, do people not matter? Does your defense secretary not matter? I mean, can your, your secretary of state just take off for a week and nobody notices that either? I'm blown away by this. I'm really, and you know what? My heart goes out to Secretary Austin. I'm sorry for him. I really am. And I understand it, it sucks, right? Like you want to have a private life and you can't have a private life because you're the Secretary of Defense of the United States of America. That is what you gave up when you signed on to the gig. Sorry, that's just the way it works, Okay. So you ought to know that, right? You've spent your life in the military. You can't go MIA. You can't go AWOL. You have to tell your superiors where you are and what's going on. (laughs) But Biden's clearly a very bad manager. Hey, I want to take a minute and just tell you about something, a new podcast that I found. By the way, are, are are you all liking, subscribing, doing all of that stuff? I'm live here every day. I would so appreciate it if you would do that. Also go over to Apple Podcasts and make sure you subscribe to the Trish Regan Show on Apple Podcasts as well. It's really, really important. But while you're there, while you're there at Apple Podcasts, and I'll put the link up later, I want to tell you about another podcast I found because it's not political, it's not business, it's not policy. It's just America, if you would, at its best. I love, you know, look, I was a history major. I love stories. I love history. I love understanding the people, the characters involved in our history. I, I like business news for, for interesting reasons, including that I love these stories of entrepreneurs and how they've been able to succeed. And so it's one of the reasons I like this show. It's called Our American Stories. Our American stories, because you know what? We share in this together. You hear me talk a lot about meritocracy and the importance of meritocracy because it expands the pie for everyone, right? This is not a zero-sum game. And they recognize that in this show because when one person succeeds and builds a company or has an idea, guess what? More people benefit from that. It's called Our American Stories, and there's all kinds of stories. It's extremely diverse, and every episode has like three or four stories that I I find anyway, very, very entertaining. Who knew that NASCAR started because of bootlegging? I mean, maybe you knew that. Maybe you knew that. Um, Henry Ford, there's a whole thing on him and how he obviously revolutionized transportation. Abraham Lincoln, his last day of life is in there. Harriet Tubman's remarkable story. The Godfather, how that movie came into production. I mean, you name it, all kinds of different things. And so it's the kind of podcast you want to listen to. Maybe after listening to this one, right, with all the news and bad stuff going on, it's nice to hear about ordinary, seemingly ordinary Americans that have gone on to do just extraordinary things. So I encourage you to find it. I encourage you to find the Trish Regan Show, too. I really urge you to. It's called Our American Stories. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you get the Trish Regan Show. Do check it out. I think you will thank me for it. Oh, this is clever. So we were just talking about the defense secretary. You know, we could talk about national security issues. Well, Dylan Mulvaney 
is looking forward to a brand new year. Dill Mulvaney just making an appearance there at the Golden Globes. Dashing in pink. All right, so Dylan Mulvaney going to the Golden Globes, blonde hair, pale pink dress, the whole nine yards. Dylan's very excited right now because Dylan just got a new passport, a brand new passport. You got to see this because I got some questions. Let's leave aside for just a second, right? Anything that you think about Dylan, anything you think about transgender issues, forget the politics, forget the social implications. I just want to talk national security. All right, just national security. I mean, I have to say that my hair is brown and my eyes are green and I'm five foot seven and this and that and the other, right? And, and that I'm a female. And I would think, wouldn't you think that you would actually um, kind of need to do something similar, right, for your passport? So Dylan came out with a video. Dylan came out with a video, and uh, I sent this around this morning because it was just really, <laughs> it was really quite something to see. And Dylan was talking about how Dylan finally got the new passport. That reminds me, I got to get my passport renewed. And Dylan's super, super duper excited because you see now Dylan has a different letter next to Dylan's name. What I have been working with. Hello? Hello? Just got my new passport. Let's see. Show me an F for female. Show me an F for female. F for female. Woohoo! And I look pretty good. Honestly, oh my God. This is the biggest weight lifted off my shoulders. And I could like cry happy tears. But mostly, I would like to thank the US government for allowing me to do this. And to all those people that call me a man, well, you can take that up with the Department of Social Security because my passport says otherwise. Love ya. Okay, so there you go. Dylan Mulvaney is registered as a female. When Dylan travels, Dylan is a female. Now, I guess Dylan is kind of a universal name, so no issues there. And the whole look is different. And the passport's different. So there you go. But is there no national security concern whatsoever about any of this? I mean, again, putting all politics aside, anything you think about the, the whole movement, like just leave it alone for one second. And, and honestly, tell me, why do I have to go through the bother of saying that I'm female and that I have brown hair and green eyes when clearly like you can kind of do whatever you want as long as you feel that way, right? <laughs> Speaking of this kind of stuff, um, look, I, 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 I think we get a real problem on the immigration front that's not going to go away. 300,000 people in the month of December alone coming here to this country because they know as long as Joe Biden is there, there are some open arms. You got court dates that are going out into the years 2030-something. And everybody's still saying, well, we have to bring them here. This is part of the system, et cetera, et cetera. But what happens, as Margaret Thatcher says, when you run out of somebody else's money? All right, like, let's just be realistic about this for a second. 
any other country anywhere in the world actually has restrictions on this, right? You can't just show up and start collecting benefits elsewhere. But in California now, Gavin Newsom is willing to spend $2 billion to ensure that every illegal, every undocumented migrant has access to health care. Forget the fact that there's $68 billion in debt already and everybody's leaving that state just as fast as they can for states that are more prudent in terms of their fiscal situation. California, clearly just a mess. Well, everybody's like, what, what's going on? I mean, even the Democrats. I'm Guys, you know what? It's that bad. And you know it's that bad when even the leftist media is being forced to admit being forced to admit that, you know what, a lot of these people, they're not even coming from South America or Latin America. They're, they're actually coming from China. And it's kind of it's getting weird because they're annoyed that we can't move faster. This is great. Like CNN actually ran a clip of this. And it's one thing, right, if you see Fox or anybody running it. It's interesting when it's CNN, you know, Biden ought to get the alert on this one because people are not entirely with him. It is an issue. And this highlights it in a pretty massive way. Let's go to this clip again from CNN. As soon as we pull up, they rush towards us. My mic not even on. But that doesn't stop this crowd of Chinese migrants from venting to producer Yong Shong. They're angry, having to wait in the cold for border patrol. This is just one of three makeshift border camps we stop at in eastern San Diego County. Alongside migrants from Latin America, at each camp, we meet dozens from China. The numbers reflect the surge. From 2013 to 2022, CBP recorded fewer than 16,000 Chinese migrants illegally crossing the U.S. southern border. This past year alone, more than 31,000. That's roughly double the prior 10 years combined. Our border patrol is kind of strapped right now, guys, really strapped right now, if you haven't noticed. And we're financially getting a little strapped, too, because, you know, you can only handle paying for so many cell phones, paying for so many Hotel bills. This is resonating in Chicago. It is resonating in New York. And it is resonating now with a growing number of Democrats and also media establishments. Truly, truly, truly remarkable. They want to control everything. We heard from Michelle Obama earlier, earlier in the show, that she wants to be able to control things. When does that stop? I mean, things are changing from a technological standpoint, right? Where it makes it much, much harder to control things. Information travels pretty freely. Sometimes it's not always the right information. (laughs) We've seen that in more ways than one. But it's out there. And it's scary, I think, to to some of the elites, knowing that people can kind of do anything right now. They can, oh my gosh, they can spend money however they want, right? Think about that. I mean, we, we've effectively moved away from cash, right? We're this cashless society. And increasingly, we're going to become more of that. It's already happening around the world. You know, China created their digital dollar, 
And they like that because then they can actually really micromanage the economy. I mean, think about that. That's like the Fed on steroids, right? The Fed wants to inject a certain amount of capital somehow, some way. Imagine you can parachute in and go, boop, 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 boop. we're going to just print money right here in Peoria, Illinois this week. Well, that's what you can do with these digital dollars or digital yuan as they're doing in China. And it's not just China. I mean, they're doing it over in Europe now. This has now arrived at the EU. Let's listen to Christine Lagarde talk about exactly this and how they can now control and see everything. Forget about it. You can't just purchase things with cash anymore. You can't do anything on the side. They will see every transaction in the future. You are introducing the electronic euro, as I know. Yeah. So yeah. how can I... Um... How can switching to an electronic currency help? Now we have in Europe this threshold above 1,000 euros, you cannot pay cash. If you do, you're on the gray market. So you take mm-hmm. your risk. You get caught, you are fined, or you go in jail. But, you know, the, the, the digital euro is going to have a limited amount of control. There will be control. You're right. You're completely right. Mm-hmm. We are considering whether for very small amounts, you know, anything that is around 300, 400 euros, we could have a mechanism where there is zero control. But that could be dangerous. The terrorist attacks on France uh, back uh, 10 years ago were entirely financed by those very small anonymous credit cards that you can recharge in total anonymity. What they're actually going to do is they're going to, they'll use the prospect and fear of what she just mentioned to try and control more of the financial system and know exactly how you're spending your money. I mean, theoretically, it should be good in that you obviously want to contain what happened um, and continues to happen all over the world with these attacks. And yet, simultaneously, you still have to be wary of the government encroaching too much right, into our territory and knowing too much and supervising us too much. Because as we have seen, look, you can have the best of intentions, but it's government gone wild. And you think about the Patriot Act, which was designed to make sure that like another 9-11 would never happen. And it's actually how they were able to wiretap Donald Trump's campaign back in 2016. And so you say to yourself, wait a second, like these laws are intended ideally for good purposes to keep us safe, and yet they're misused. And when they're misused like that, that's when we as individuals and as Americans, we really do suffer. I do want to open it up to some of the questions and to the comments. It's great to have all you guys here. I mean, really, I I mean that so many of you have been on the ground floor with me really from the very beginning. You're still there with me because we still have our technical issues, (laughs) as you've seen from time to time. But that just that means you're in the know. That means you're in the know. I mean, Leslie, thank you so much. I can remember Leslie being like, Trish, we need higher volume let me know guys by the way like let us know like on the volume all that good stuff i really do actually really appreciate it um you've been a a tremendous resource for me in that sense and uh yeah i see leslie right now um look it's 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 fred uh yeah there's a lot of eyes watching us right a lot of eyes watching us right now and i i think it's actually one of the things that we have to work i keep saying like can one just go move somewhere like completely off the grid, right? Like 
it would be nice, but I don't think it can be done anymore. And that is um, unfortunate, right? It's unfortunate. And they're always going to kind of know something about you. And that's just the new world, right? In which we now live. Leslie writing, if we go digital, our money would disappear overnight. Wow. It's a a scary thought to think about, right? It really, really, really is. Don, good to see you back here. Don, I think we're almost at 178. We were actually as of last night, almost at, well, we're, we're quite, we're not quite there. So I think if Don hasn't already, he would urge you, urge you. Um, yeah, Don making a good point. He thinks that having Epstein in the, in the title here today is making us not so popular with the YouTube algorithms. It's hard to know. I mean, the algorithms are really quite something, right, guys? I mean, how do you, it's, it's like, well, what, what can you put in the title? Can't put Trump, can't put MAGA stuff, can't put Epstein. I mean, it, it, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. And so I encourage you, I really do, to subscribe to this show. Go over to my, I have a brand new website. Well, almost. It, it, you haven't seen it yet. It, it, it's in the works. It's in the works. We're working on it behind the scenes. But you can at least go to the temporary landing page at trishreganmedia.com and sign up for my email there. So again, trishreganmedia.com. Chris, uh, Christian, thank you so much. I, I appreciate those kind words. I really do. I mean, I, this is important to me and you guys are important to me and our freedom is so important to me and our opportunities in preserving that, right? Because we were on a good path. We were on a very, very good path. And you look at some of the polling data that shows Americans didn't think we were divided. They actually, we had achieved pretty good numbers. I don't have them off the top of my head, but I think if you look back sort of pre-2013, when you asked blacks and whites about whether or not they felt divided or whether they felt that there was this division in society, overwhelmingly the majority of of both groups said no. You know, they, they felt like race relations were in a really, really good place. That has disintegrated. It has disintegrated under... Barack Obama's leadership, it's continued. I mean, through the four years because they doubled down on anti-Trump, anti-Trump, anti-Trump. And what is the worst thing you can possibly say about someone? Yeah, they went there. And that's what they did. And they're continuing to do it. And you had the emergence of DEI and all the corporate nonsense that went with that, as well as the academic. And consequently, we're now in a really, I would say, vulnerable stage, vulnerable stage as Americans, because this is not who we are. We are a meritocracy. We're a capitalist system. We love success and we want more of it for everyone. We're not in this zero-sum game business like some in Europe are and most socialist societies are. That's not us. And so we've got to get away from that right now. It's really Really important. Thank you, Shane, for the kind words. Gary, good to see you. Solera, thank you for being here. Abel, good to see you again. <laughs> yeah, they got the Swifties and they got the Tristies. These are the Tristies over here. Thank you for coining that term. Great to see you all. I will be back tomorrow. In the meantime, we got a lot of content coming out over the next couple of days. Share it, like it, comment. I read all your comments. I really do late at night, but I really do. And I love hearing from you. So make sure you do all that for me and I'll see you tomorrow.